Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of A. Thompson and Other Disappointments. This is a fuck this week uh, edition, which if you're new to the podcast, basically means it's just me talking. There's no guest on these ones. Um, I've already done two with guests this week. Um, That was Otto English, a very famous uh, Twitter account or Twitter author, but then also a genuine author. He's got a, a book out, Fake History. And uh, and and uh, he's a, a former journalist. And then on Friday night it was Professor Martin Spinelli, um, who is a professor at Sussex University uh, of well now he's now he's literally a professor of podcasting. Although when I booked him, he was a professor of media, and so we had a, a really interesting chat about the state of British media and its relationship with uh, with politics. It's been a really good week for for guests and getting a sort of you know insight into these people's um uh uh fuck fuck me what is the word why am i having a brain fart like not even two minutes into this episode um getting an insight into these people's disciplines into their industries um you you know what i mean we 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 get each other by this point right you understand that there's going to be some brain farts in every episode and and the other thing i'm always going to do in every episode pretty much every paragraph of me talking is I'm gonna fuck up a word or make up a word and then ask you if it's a word that it exists you know like I'll be like is is that even a word you know I've noticed I do that a lot but you know what if you've made it to 42 episodes of this by now then I'm guessing you're on board with that kind of shit so stick around there's gonna be a lot more of it um on this episode I want to talk a little bit about like this is a thought I had this morning is how weird is it that we've switched how we treat comedians with how we treat political figures? So you've got elected officials or like, you know, standing for office, like that kind of person in a nice suit, saying the right things to the camera, committing to taxing and public services and all that shit. Somebody running for office and then stand-up comedians. And they both talk in front of big groups of people, you know, theatres or halls or... Or whatever um, But they're very different people And with comedians traditionally What would happen is They would tell you a funny story Or they would You know, crack a joke Or, you know, a one-liner or something But you wouldn't necessarily worry about Fact-checking them Or whether there was malice behind it Or whether they were being ignorant or offensive Or, you know, and even if they were offensive You would just sort of overlook it You'd be like, well, you know, he's a comedian He's just, you know, he's not my taste, but He's a inverted commas comedian. I'm not really, you know, that's how that's how we would treat stand-up comedians traditionally. And then with politicians, obviously, we would treat them like, you know, if you commit to doing something, if you if you say that you're going to stand on this platform, like low taxation, um, or you know, not corrupt, or not starting wars, or you know, and then you renege on those commitments, then you scrutinise them, right? <clears throat> you you hold them to account. And now it's like those situations are reversed. Now with politicians, we don't take them seriously at all. We don't scrutinise them. We don't hold them to account. We don't make them pay for lying to us. We expect them to lie to us. We celebrate the fact that they lie lie to us. You know, if you say to a Tory voter, don't you have a problem with Boris Johnson's endless fucking self-interest and lying and narcissism and cruelty... Ah, no, you're just, you're just fucking upset. Ah, fucking Labour voter, eh? Ah, dumb Labour, Labour never getting in. 
you know that sort of attitude like they they dismiss any criticism of their guy the blue guy or the red guy as though it's well you know that's just boris being boris isn't it hey eh? that's just boris being oh he's so kooky what will he do next you know we look at we look at politicians like they're comedians in the old days like oh he's such a rascal he's such oh i just don't know what he's gonna do next we just give them such a benefit of the doubt we look at it like it's entertaining we're like yeah fucking oh boris he's he just says what he thinks doesn't he he doesn't give a fuck and to the point where you know boris johnson and this isn't exclusive to boris johnson this is definitely you know a sort of populist thing but with boris johnson it, it extends to like international stage kind of stuff like he was wasn't he at some event this week where he cracked a joke about fucking like was it was it about dead bodies or something cracked some joke some really inappropriate joke and it's like watching a shit panel show it's like they're talking about a serious subject and they want a world leader they want a british prime minister to exert influence or to give their opinion or something or or show some direction or leadership and instead what do they get they get boris johnson fucking ex-tabloid journalist going like oh yeah oh i've got a good gag about this and then waiting for the applause break or some shit it's so like it's so weird it's like politicians are now the comedians and we forgive them as such you know, he says something outlandish. We're like, yeah, well, what are you going to do? <laughs> He's not to my taste, but, you know, that's just Boris being Boris. And then on the flip side, with comedians, we attract... We we, we wrap scrutiny around them and we hold them to account <laughs> in a way that we never did before. In a way that you should do with politicians. It's like the two are completely reversed. So now, you know, obviously the, the most recent, the, the current example of this is Dave Chappelle. So Dave Chappelle, a lot of people call him the greatest of all time. He's not my favourite comedian of all time, but fine. Um, He said some stuff in his new special that I think is, you know, my take on his new special was there was one or two bits in there that I thought were actually close to genius. And then the rest of it, I thought was, yeah, you know. And I'm not saying that in a sort of, you know, embittered or uh, cunty you know, snowflakey way, I mean, genuinely, as a as a student of stand-up, as somebody who did stand-up comedy for five years, as somebody who sat in countless rooms, hundreds of rooms, watching up-and-coming acts and professional acts and internationally known acts doing their shit, I can tell you that in my experience, in my opinion, what I saw in that special was a couple of really great bits and then the rest of it kind of boring kind of drudge but we i I don't know if if drudge and laziness and you know a 95 percent non-hit rate (laughs) i don't know if that means that we should be scrutinizing and fact checking and fucking like holding him to account it like as though he's fucking running for office because he's not he's a stand-up comedian and if you don't like what he says i feel like as a comedian you just have to fucking switch him off and watch something else. You know, I'm not a big, you know, free market guy. I'm not, uh, you know, or, or even like a cancel culture guy, you know, where like, oh, can we just stop cancelling poor souls like Dave Chappelle? 
but I do think there's something there's something really cringy about this idea of like what was it like seven or eight Netflix staff stormed into a fucking boardroom meeting a boardroom meeting of Netflix <laughs> with the fucking sea level execs the CEO the CFO the, I don't know, fucking strategy of operations directory. Per- there you go. Like, I'm just fucking making up words again. But you know what I mean? Like, it's it, this super senior board meeting. People sat in nice suits around circular tables. Tables talking about, well, I think we can expect a, uh, you know, a, a 5.2% return in uh, South Korea next year if we accelerate the blah, blah. You know, like, strategy. <laughs> Just talking finance and strategy and logistics and hiring plans and ramping up and all the other shit that C-level execs talk about. And in comes this seven or eight fucking Twitter cunts. Like, I don't like what Dave Chappelle said in his special, so you got to take it off. It's bigoted and it's ignorant and you have to take it off the platform. You know, it's like, like, I get it. I understand that if he was talking about something close to home for me, if it, if it was something sensitive for me, like, for example, childcare, right? I get very, I get fucking livid with people when they minimise the struggle of having children in the modern world and they dismiss it. Or they pretend that their own situation is somehow equal to, like, mine and my girlfriend's situation because they had a hard weekend with their kids one, one, one fucking time. You had a hard weekend. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, yeah, no, well, I, I, had, a, I had a tough weekend with my son, like, seven weeks ago. And I guess we've both had bad months, you know, like that sort of thing. Um, that if somebody did a stand-up routine about that, where I felt like they were minimising my shit, and and or or ridiculing it, or you know, I might get sensitive about it. But I would it would never occur to me to fucking storm into the boardroom meeting and disrupt that shit and demand that he's taken off. That is as clear an example or metaphor or manifestation as what I talk about when I talk about, you know, 20 years ago, people would just argue about this stuff over a pub table. But now people say it on Twitter and they get 10,000 retweets or something and they think they have a fucking point because there's 10,000 other idiots out there who feel the same. And that's fine to feel the same. It's great that you have some common ground with some people on Twitter. But just because you feel emboldened and and bigged up by 10,000 retweets doesn't fucking give you the right to storm in <laughs> to a C-level exec meeting and demand that, like, this, this is... Number one, it's not your company. Number two, you're just one fucking person that works in a call centre or accounts payable or fucking the legal department. Out of that whole organisation, you're not qualified to comment on programming and programming controls. I know that's a humbling, shitty thing to say, but it's, that is the truth. You don't get to just storm in somewhere and demand that they change their whole shit because you it, something a, a person said on a program made you sad for 10 minutes. That isn't how life fucking works. And I know that there's people listening to this who think, yeah, aid comes across as a sort of, you know, a left-leaning, um, you know, socialist, sensitive guy. But then I listened to this episode where he was, he was actually on Dave Chappelle's side and it really, it really opened my eyes. He can be a bit of a cunt. No, I'm not saying, like, I'm supporting Dave Chappelle endlessly. I understand that what he said was uh, ignorant 
and misguided and kind of lazy and shit. But to my mind, that's all that it was. And if he cracked a similar set of jokes or non-jokes in that case, you know, there was a lot that just simply was not, <laughs> you know, I'm, look, I'm not a, a world famous stand-up comedian and Dave Chappelle's got, you know, 20 fucking specials on me. So what the fuck do I know? But I can tell you this, that from the little that I do know about comedy, from my very humble comedy career, I can tell you that there are like chunks of that special where there is seemingly no actual joke writing going on. It is literally him talking a bit like a Ted talk. You know, he's just giving you a story and occasionally it's peppered with little tittering. And so it's, you know, if somebody did a a seven or 12 minute routine about childcare frustrations and, and knackered parents that I didn't like, I'd get it. Like, I understand where you're coming from, but I still don't think that gives you the right to fucking demand changes to, to an organization where you, you just, you're a fucking tiny cog in the machine. People get so bigged up by their presence on social media or by one tweet on social media that they think that they're, that that's it. They're a big dick now. Fuck it. I'm going to, I'm, I'm bigged up. I've managed to get to 5,000 followers on Twitter. So wait, wait till Netflix get a load of me. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> Just enjoy the 5,000 followers or the 10,000 retweets or whatever the fuck it is. Just enjoy that and make some more points and start a blog and start a YouTube channel. And that's great. Carry, that's the whole thing with free speech is that Dave Chappelle gets to say some shit. You get to disagree with it. You get to create a YouTube channel and moan about him. And somewhere along the line, enough people moan and enough people celebrate. And eventually what happens is standards improve and people avoid content like Dave Chappelle's. And then they start their own content. And absolutely, there is a place right now in the zeitgeist of stand-up comedy for a trans comic to come out and and talk about their experience and share their stories. Funny, traumatic, cutting, witty. There is definitely a, a huge gap in the market <clears throat> for that kind of individual. But it, it, it can't be, like the, the balance can't be set by somebody like Dave Chappelle cracking a five, 10, 15 minute routine about trans culture and trans issues. And then a load of people going on Twitter and saying like, that's fucking bullshit. No, t- like tear him down. Blah blah. No, that's not how this works. I know that that's not what some of you want to hear, but that's honestly I can't see any way around it other than logically, man. Look at this. Look at it. It's like that's how we we progress. That's how we mature. We start these stimulating conversations and we correct people with our own content, and that's how we that's how we move forward. That's. That, that was just something that, that popped in my head this morning. It was like about the differences, just to go back to this now, about the differences between politicians and stand-ups. Like, why do we scrutinise stand-up comedians and not hold politicians to account? Like, it gets to the point now where people get so irate on Twitter, they're like, that fucking Dave Chappelle, he's such a cut. Like, who does he think he is talking about my life and my experience? I'll tell you what, I'm never voting for him again. <laughs> like... You're treating him like he's a politician, like he's standing for office. He's not. He's just a guy who started doing stand-up and talking about stuff. And, a lot, you know, I, I was about to say a lot of that special, there is actually some salient points to be, to be made and to be drawn from that. He does talk about how 
you know, he comes from a, a background where if somebody wrongs you in public, you might call them a bitch or you, you might call them a bitch N-word. And how that's now become sort of double problematic because, you know, obviously nobody wants to hear that kind of language out in the open, somebody calling someone else that. But now in, in his context, with the situation he's dug himself into, calling somebody that kind of language is double bad for him. So it's this like devices and comedic writing that can be appreciated, I think, in that special. And there's another thing about feminism in there where I proper like lolled, where he, he, you know, I don't want to ruin it for anyone, but basically sort of it ends with him saying like, oh, you know, now we've come full circle. Now we're back at square one sort of thing where he talks about, you know, how he should be the male, the male leader of the feminist movement sort of thing. And, and there's a lot of it, you know, there's, there's bits in the special where I'm like, he's pretty fucking good. But there's a lot of it also, you know, that I agree is just lazy and shit. So I don't, but I don't know why we get to this point where we scrutinise and hold him to account, but we don't hold politicians to account. And I wonder, is it something along the lines of that in the left of the political sphere, we've come to accept that people like Boris Johnson, people like Donald Trump, people like fucking, you know, Mark Francois and, you know, who else, whoever else, they very, very rarely get held to account. Like, Boris Johnson is never going to lose his house. <laughs> He's never going to be alone. There's always going to be some sad sack fucking trophy wife cunt who's going to cling on to him, be taken to an embassy dinner and taken away to a stately home for them. He's never going to be alone. He's never going to lose his house. He's never going to be poor. Uh, the, the chances of him being held to account are so slim. And it's the same for Trump. You know, like people say he might go to jail. People say he's being sued. He might go bankrupt. I can't see it. People like Donald Trump never end up poor or in jail or, you know, closest thing, maybe Bernie Madoff ended up going to jail, right? But, you know, it, I, can't, ah, I just can't see it. So I wonder if on the left of the political sphere, is it as simple and psychological as we have come to accept that people very rarely get held to account, that there's never really any recourse for us. There's never, you know, we, can't, we, we can try to hold these motherfuckers to account and scrutinise them and say shit like, hey, I heard you said grab them by the pussy. But then what happens? What actually happens? Fucking nothing. Teflon Don carries on, gets elected. You know, we can try and say, hey, Johnson, I heard that you flew your mistress around on public money. I heard that you, you shoehorned her into meetings that she wasn't really qualified to go on. What do you have to say about that? What about the, what about the Downing Street flat refurb costs? What about that? What about these donations? Should we hold you to account? No? Okay. Fucking blinding. So we've given up on being able to hold these people to account because we live in this post-truth state. We live in this world where uh, the idea of these people having to face repercussions for their actions and their personalities and the way that they fucking treat people, that, that idea is gone. It feels like it's history. And so the closest thing we can get to it, to feeling like we've righted a wrong, is when a stand-up comedian says something a bit problematic and then we're like, right, he has to pay for this, you know? And there is, there's actually a slim chance that you might get them taken off the platform, that you might get an uptick in your dopamine when Netflix or Amazon or the BBC or whoever put out a press release and say, on, on reflection, we don't feel that this content met the standards uh, that we commit to as part of our blah, blah, you know? Is, is that what it is? Because it, sometimes it feels a bit like that. Like, 
this is the closest we're ever going to get <laughs> to to writing a wrong and so this is what we do we just trip switch into bashing stand-up comedians and, and the fucked up thing about it is you know not all comedians are left-wing absolutely not famously there's a there's about 10 or 15 comedians who all claim to be i'm the i'm the lone voice of right-wing comedy they always fucking say that um but there's you know there's still a huge proportion of stand-up comedy is left-leaning at least publicly left-leaning uh, and so this idea that we have to reprimand uh, and and bash and tear off of platforms uh, standard comedians to further the left uh, cause, that seems to me to be misguided. That seems to be incredibly short-termist to me. Like, let's tear down Dave Chappelle. Well, great. Okay, all you're going to do is piss off people like Joe Rogan, who's already sort of, you know, in in some arguments, in some... Uh, scenarios kind of alt-right kind of vaccine skeptic that sort of individual um you know you're gonna piss off your bill burr you're gonna piss off maybe even people like sarah silverman who are you know turbo left super socialist and what you're gonna do is is you're gonna you're gonna project this idea that the left is just this factionalized sack of rats that just like fighting amongst each other and that's never gonna fucking fix anything it's like it, it sort of brings me back to um to to British politics, doesn't it? It's like how can the left ever really succeed in the UK? God, my voice is breaking up. How can the left ever really succeed and find electoral success in Britain when every other week some faction of Labour are tearing Starmer down, hashtag Starmer out? Or, you know, there's talk about what the left of Labour are arguing with, with, like, the, the Blairites, the moderates. And, you know, then you've got the fucking Lib Dems saying, well, we're going to do blah, 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 And then that takes a chunk out of the Labour vote. And then the Greens are like, we're the only ones that are taking Green commitments seriously and actually saying we will commit to do. Then that takes all the environmentalists out of the Labour vote. And then before you know it, you've got, you know, three, four, five cuts out of the left vote, factionalising. And then Labour never stand a fucking chance. And then the Tories, meanwhile, are just like, yeah, well, you know, I am a racist motherfucker and I would absolutely vote for the National Front, but got to vote Tory, haven't I? You know, they all get behind the Tories. They all just club together because they know that if they, if they factionalise, then Labour will get in, you know? So in their, in their respect, they're smarter electorally than the left are. The left are purist and hugely objective. And it really doesn't do us any favours at all. It Like, Dominic Raab's constituency is always the example that I wheel out. Uh, he managed to secure his seat in, I think it's Esham, is it? Or Esher in Surrey. Uh, by by a margin of, like, 1,000 votes or something. It was, it was pretty slim. Uh, and if you look at the results of the area, guess fucking what? If the left vote hadn't been split if the Lib Dem vote uh, like candidate had just said do you know what I'm going to stand back I'm going to hold back and all of my candidates should go with the Labour voter uh, the Labour candidate here if the Lib Dems had just stood down in that constituency constituency we wouldn't have fucking Dominic Raab he'd be history he would have been like ah oh, fuck well I tried my best anyway back to my shitty cunty law job that I had before back to my what was he doing before? I think he worked in the civil service, actually. 
He's got an NDA against his name. Did you guys know that? He's got an NDA against him and nobody knows <laughs> what it's about. I did a, a sort of a bit of prep a while ago for a Dominic Raab TikTok because I thought, oh, that'd be fun. Because he's such a sort of... He just looks like a fucking psychopath, doesn't he? The vein popping out. His great big bulging eyes. He's quite muscular as well. He goes to the gym twice a day. Like he's... He, he, doesn't he like fucking black belt in judo or something? He's, he's quite tonk. Um, and I just got this feeling like he's going to get in trouble sooner or later. He just seemed... You know when you shouldn't judge the book by the cover, but he like the cover of that book does not look good. And... I I wonder if, you know, he's going to get into some sort of serious trouble. There'll, there'll be some sort of big scandal. And so I wondered, maybe I'll do my prep now, right? So I, I started prepping a few bits and pieces about him. And yes, he's got an NDA wrapped around uh, some former, like, aide in his office. Nobody knows what, <laughs> what the fuck he did to her. It's just like, yeah, you, here's some fucking money and sign this. Never talk about this. You talk about this, we'll take the fucking money back. I, oh, okay, all right. So nobody knows what it's about apart from him and David Davis. Um, so there's that. There was uh, a thing where he was in a town hall meeting. It's on, it's on YouTube where he, he calls... He, what the fuck was it now? I think he dismissed... He dismissed the, like, the need for food banks or something. He's just like basically minimising the, the, the urgency and the seriousness of food banks. Something like that. And people were literally shouting at him in the town hall. Um... So there's that as well. There was uh, an aide resigned from a role in his office. <laughs> this, is, this is fucked. Because she, he had an hour and a quarter for lunch every day. And she booked him into a meeting that would shave a quarter of an hour off of his lunchtime gym session. Right? <laughs> and so what do you think the guy who looks like he's Tonk and has got a vein bulging out the side of his head... And looks like he's a and, and says he's a black belt in judo or, or whatever. What do you think that calm, centered, totally non-violent person did in response to his junior aide taking fifteen minutes for lunch break so he couldn't be in the gym for? Yeah, he fucking went schizo at her. He absolutely blew his fucking lid, shouted at her, lambasted her, and said basically, "Never ever book into my gym time." And. Uh, and so, yeah, um, by, by all accounts, she burst into tears and, um, uh, yeah, she, I think she was then fired by that. I'm going way off on a tangent here. I'm sorry. But I think she was then fired by her boss in that department when they found out that she was an escort. She was doing some sort of like nighttime work as a paid for date for businessmen and, and you know, let's be real, probably politicians um, doing, you know, we don't know what. Not really. Sh- I mean, come on. I, l- I love when people say escorts are literally just paid for dates, like I just did. <laughs> like I'm just being, I'm just being polite when people say, "Yeah, well, she did a bit of escorting," which you know, not like that. You know, she was just, uh, you know, a, a paid companion to go to business. Di- uh, really? Come on, we're all grown ups here. <laughs> like this idea that escort. Like, I, I might at some point in the future go overseas and go to business dinners and shit. But I'm not paying someone to come to dinner with me. You know, if I want someone to come to dinner with me, I'll go to somebody in the office and say, Oh, do you want to grab some dinner later? That is a different conversation to, I wonder if I can pay a young woman to spend time with me. <laughs> like, we all know what the fuck. So if she's, if she's, you know, she was an escort, sucking some dick. 
Clearly. And anyway, they found out about it and they fired her uh, for presumably bringing the department into ill repute. Um, and, uh, you know, I suppose to some extent the, the conversation there really should be, were they paying her enough to be this junior aide in a government department in London where rents are incredibly prohibitively expensive how much was that role paying? Did she ask for a raise first? Was it denied? Was she benchmarked against other people? Were there men in the same department that were earning more than her, etc., etc.? Rather than, are you sucking some dick? Oh, that is, that is disgusting. Get your whorish mouth out of this office. Um, which I suspect it was probably more the latter than the former. Um... Anyway, guys, listen. This has been uh, this has been fun. I do enjoy doing these episodes because I really I get to I get to just go off on my own like little uh, like dance in Wonderland sort of thing. You know, I just get to to talk to myself without the without the inconvenience of being interrupted by my fucking guests. Um, no, it's you know obviously I enjoy the guests. I enjoy learning from the guests and and tabling questions to them and. Uh, uh, and it is really, genuinely I, do, I really enjoy learning from from people when I chat to them uh, and getting their thoughts and stuff but but it is also nice sometimes to just do these sort of just me shows where I can kind of you know freewheel a little bit more um, and also you know what my mic on on the podcast when I'm interviewing people that mic I spent 300 quid on that fucking mic because a guy on YouTube was doing reviews of them and he reckoned that it was quite good and I spent I think it's about 150 on the preamp, but it's still coming through. Like, it doesn't sound great, does it? It sounds kind of like a bit trebly and very, very slightly echoey. And I don't know, like, I'm I'm really trying to spend some time getting it to mix right and shit. But, you know, I've got two kids and a full-time job and it's just not easy to uh, to do that shit. So please bear with me. Hopefully it's not causing you guys, you guys, uh, to too much um aural discomfort um and anyway yeah so i'll be back this coming friday i'm going to interview um the singer from the band the microdance um who's actually a sort of old friend of mine um back in the day i used to be in bands i used to play guitar and sing and then i did loads of singer songwritery stuff and anyway he and i were in a band for a very very short period of time together um but since then he's gone on to release um uh, through a label but then also self-release um uh, i think he's on his third album now uh, and he's incredibly passionate about the state of the music industry and what streaming has done uh and people's inability to to want to buy music any longer and support the acts that they love um and i did an episode of the podcast where i interviewed a lady called emily davis a while back where we talked about spotify and um and it's going to be really interesting now to get his thoughts on what streaming has done and where he sees his music and uh, bands like his going in the future like is it as bleak as i think it is or or is there a way out has he has he come up with some way to to benefit from the status quo in the same way that you know what like there are artists out there who are making a shit ton of money so is there something that he could like a leaf that he could take out of their book like that sort of thing that's how i imagine that conversation is going to go so uh, if, so if that sounds interesting to you, if you're if you're interested in tech, music, the arts, um, it's likely to be a little bit less political that episode than than others. So maybe skip it if you're not into that. Um, and I will be back in a couple of weeks with another guest. And yeah, thanks very much once again for tuning in. I'll catch up with you all soon. All right, ciao, bye bye.